Psalm 65 is a hymn of praise to God as the creator and sustainer of all things. David penned this psalm to be sung yearly when the first grain of the barley harvest was brought before the Lord and offered as a wave offering. As such, this psalm celebrates God's goodness, not only in creating the seed, but in sustaining it until it harvest. Indeed, the yield of harvest is a testimony to the sustaining power of God. With the sustaining power of God at the forefront of David's mind, he declares that God also sustains his people. He sustains us by saving us, atoning for our sin, and hearing our prayers, as well as answering them. We're going to begin with verses 1 through 4 and notice David's approach. Verse 1 says, There will be silence before you, and praise in Zion, O God, and to you the vow will be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all men come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you forgive them. How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. The psalmist begins with an announcement of praise for God, but not a direct expression of praise. The Hebrew reads, For you silence is for praise, O God, in Zion. Now, with that literal rendering, it indicates to us that the probable meaning here is that the praise being presented to God is actually the silence of surrender. You know, so often we think of praise as something done with our lips, which it is, but also when we sit in silent submission to God, that's also a form of praise. In other words, when we sit and quietly, silently reflect on who God is, as we quietly reflect on the fact that He is our Lord, as we quietly reflect on the fact that He is our Savior. We are praising Him. The place where David's offering was made was in Zion. There God dwells on His holy mountain. And David says this is the place where His vow will be performed or paid. Now the vow here is an act of gratitude that David is offering or making on the basis that his prayer is going to be answered. So his prayer has not yet been answered, but he's already showing gratitude to God, offering gratitude to God, because he knows the prayer will be answered. Notice that God is identified in verse 2 as the one who hears his prayer. Now, when we think of prayer, prayer can be a very formal, liturgical address, or prayer can simply be something that is cried out in a moment of despair. It can be a quiet meditation. It can be offered whether our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, or it can be offered with our hands on the steering wheel driving down the street. The fact is we can communicate with God at all times. And while the content of our prayer may vary, and it will vary because of our circumstances, nonetheless, God will always hear it and will answer it. The psalmist then offers his surrender to God as his praise in worship. Again, he brings his vow and his prayer. He's confident that he's going to receive mercy from God. 
Notice in verse 3, he continues that the iniquities prevail against me. Now, iniquities are willful acts of wrongdoing that overpower him. In other words, he says, you know, sin is trying to master me. These, I'm doing these wrong things that I shouldn't be doing. As well, he talks about his transgressions. Transgressions or acts of rebellion. And so he says, between me and God are my iniquities and my transgressions. But there's good news. God will forgive them. Literally, God will provide atonement for them. The word that's used there, the Hebrew word, uh, is the same word used uh, in the Old Testament in Leviticus for the uh, top of the mercy seat where the, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, sits on top. That word for mercy here is the word for cover or atone, forgive. And so when God forgives us, he covers our sins so that they are blotted out. He removes the barrier, that barrier of our sin, the barrier of his divine wrath, are removed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death. So submission, sacrifice, prayer, all things that David offers to God. And he offers these things because God has provided atonement to him. And when we apply this to us, this has been fulfilled by Christ. Christ offered himself as the final sacrifice once for all according to Romans 6.10. We're told in 1 John 1.7 that if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with him and with one another, and his blood will cleanse us from all sin. It is his blood that has made the atonement or the covering, the kafar for us, Romans 3.25. The psalm concludes, or the psalmist rather, concludes verse 4, uh, by reflecting on the fact that God blesses the man whom he chooses and causes to approach him. Again, we see God's initiative in bringing us into his presence. The divine blessing results in us being in his courts and then his house. Now, I think there's a unique progression here because court refers to the outer courtyard of the temple. We have the house or the actual temple where God dwells, the holy place, and so we come to the outer court, we're ushered into the inner court, and finally we're brought into the temple, into the Holy of Holy Places itself, where God dwells. And so we approach God. We approach God in silence, silently submitting ourselves to him. We approach God in gratitude for what he's going to do, and we approach God in prayer. Now verses 5 through 8, we have David's answer. By awesome deeds, your answer, you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea, who establishes the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in all of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset Shout for joy. The psalmist meditates again on God's answer. 
and he's struck as he meditates. He's struck by God's awesome deeds in righteousness. Now, his awesome deeds are the acts, the acts, the mighty acts that God performs that evoke praise from his people, but also produce fear in his enemies. You see, God didn't merely just answer in promises. He answers in action. God doesn't just say, yeah, I'm going to do this, this, this. God does this, this, and this. He is the God of our salvation. He is the God who delivers us. And because he is our Savior, he is our confidence, our hope to the ends of the earth, to the farthest sea. It was by his mighty acts that he created the mountains or established the mountains. Their strength comes from his strength. He was clothed with power. Interesting, that word there for strength is the word that was used for the might or the valor of a warrior. God's creation power is the power of a warrior. And God's acts are also seen in his control of the sea. He brings calm to the roar of the waves as well. He brings calm to the rioting or the tumult of the peoples. All the forces of chaos in nature, all the forces of chaos in the nations are under God's sovereign hand. And moreover, those nations will be afraid of his mighty deeds. Now, verse 9 to 13, David's adoration. You visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, for thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You have crowned the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. The pasture of the wilderness drip. The hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks. And the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. We see God's care for the land. Now, if God cares this much for the land, how much more does he care for us? But God's care for the land becomes the psalmist's focus in his meditation. Now the verb there in verse 9 for visit, he visits the earth, means he attends to or cares for the earth. And the result of God's care is that the rains come, and as a result the earth is fruitful. He causes the earth to grow its grain, and God has prepared the grain to produce fruit. Verse 10 continues to elaborate upon that care. Verse 11 to 13, we get a complete picture of the harvest. In verse 11, it's crowned. You have crowned the year with your bounty. The word crowned is a metaphor for honor. In other words, God has placed his goodness, his completeness in blessing upon the earth. So every time there's a harvest, whether it was a wheat harvest, a barley harvest, a corn harvest, whatever the harvest may be, at whatever time of the year, it ought to cause us to stop and reflect that the only reason there is a harvest is because God, in his sovereign power, brought it about. Oh, but pastor, you know, I planted the seed. Yeah, you may have planted the seed. Oh, but I, you know, I watered. Yeah, you may have watered. But it's just like Paul says to Romans, you plant it. You watered, 
Ultimately, though, what? God gives the increase. That verse there in Romans 10, 17 comes right back to the Old Testament, to the, to the feast that celebrate the harvest. Whether it was Pentecost celebrating the wheat harvest, um, you know, or, or any of the other ones, uh, the barley harvest and so forth. It was all about the fact that God produces the harvest. That's where Romans 10, 17 comes, right out of Leviticus uh, and, and the uh, feast. Feast of uh, first fruits, feast of Pentecost, and so forth. The point is, this is, is for us to meditate on. You can do whatever you have to do. You, you, you plant that seed. You water that ground. You weed that ground. That's great. That's what God's commanded you to do. But at the end of the day, don't you think for a moment that when that harvest comes, it's what you've done. Don't think for a moment that you produced that harvest. No. God produced it. Because you could have planted that seed and you could water it all day long and all night long. You could weed it every day of the week. And if God chooses not to let it produce fruit, it will not. Listen, he'll send a dry period. He'll send a dry, hot wind out of the west. And he'll cause that harvest to shrivel if he so chooses. So every time we see the harvest, every time we see whether it's the fruit of the vine or, or, the, the, or the, 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 the flowers of the, of the produced off the plant or whether the vegetables growing off of the stalk, whatever it may be, again, it's God. And it's God's provision. And when we think about God's provision, we ought to think then of how much he produces for us. Well, the provisions he provides for us. Listen, again, gospel is the seed somebody planted that in our life somebody may have watered that seed in our life but the fact that you are saved the fact that the fruit of repentance has been born in your life is because God has blessed that seed and so we need to praise God the creator and the sustainer he created the world, he sustains the world. He created us and he sustains us. And so in Psalm 65, we see the creator, the sustainer God, providing sacrifice for sin and providing rain for the land. You know, Mother Nature, quote unquote, has never driven God out of his universe because guess what? She's just a metaphor for some pagan ideology. It's Father God who reigns and rules. He alone performs awesome deeds in righteousness. And my friends, as we worship Him, let us worship Him. Let us praise Him in silence. Let us praise Him in gratitude. Let us praise Him in prayer. Friends, if the church is to be as powerful as it could be, if we're to be as have the vitality that we are to have, then we must recover a sense of God's sovereignty. That, God's sovereignty is all over this psalm, Psalm 65. Until we understand God's sovereignty, we're going to fail 
to be what we ought to be. Because we're going to try to be the church. We're going to try to go forth in our own power and our own strength. And you know what? Every time we go in our own strength and our own power, we're going to fail. We've got to remember what Paul said. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All things were created for him, through him, and for him, and by him. He's before all things, and in him all things consist. My friends, if we are going to go forth as believers, as the church, let us pray to God that he would strengthen us and that we would go forth in his power. Stop trying to be the creator. Stop trying to be the sustainer. The church has got to stop trying to accomplish its quote-unquote mission. And what we need to get back to is going forth in the power and strength of God to do His mission. Let's praise God. He created this world. He sustains this world. He created us. He made us new creatures. And He sustains us day by day. Father God in heaven, I thank You, Lord, for Psalm 65 and this great lesson of the harvest. Lord, we pray that we might as David approach you in silence, that we would have times where our worship would be nothing more but silent meditation upon your awesome deeds. That, Father, as we come before you in worship, we would come with gratitude, thankful for all that you've done for us and provided for us. That, Lord, as we come to worship, we would bring our prayers, our petitions to you, our Father. Lord, I pray that as we look at the harvest, and, Father, that we would see that it is your hand at work. It's not because of the work that we have done. Because ultimately, Lord, as quickly as we do that work, you could take it away. It's your work. You've done a work of salvation. We didn't save ourselves. You saved us. Yes, we may have preached the gospel. We may have done the work of discipleship. But, Father, it is ultimately you who causes that seed of the gospel to spring forth and to grow forth and to produce fruit. And Lord, as your church, as we go forth in, in, in this world, I pray that we would not go in our own strength and our own might, trying to accomplish what we deem as our mission, but rather instead, Lord, we would fall back on you, our creator, our sustainer, and that, Lord, we would seek your strength and your power, that we would go forth and accomplish your mission. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen.